0: Well, friends, we've made it to the end. This is it. Ephesians, the conclusion. It's been, it's been a minute. We've been in this book for quite a while. Actually, we started this series on the 14th of May, and we've had a few mini series in between. If you're new with us, we are, we've been a, just, just a great journey through the book of Ephesians. And so I wanna thank you so much for taking the journey with us. Today is gonna to be a bit of a review. It's gonna be a bit of just a reminder, an overview of the major themes that we discovered as we went through Ephesians. But before we do that, it's only appropriate to read the last closing statements by Paul in this book. So we're gonna do that, pull some stuff out of there, And then we're going to do a bit of an overview of what we have learned and how God has shaped us over the last little while. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be starting verse 21. If you're online and you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you a Bible. MyEvangel.Church forward slash Bible will be able to get a Bible with you so you can track along with us. And for those of you here, like Pastor Lisa said, we love giving away Bibles. That's just not a a trite thing that we say, we believe that's part of our mission is getting God's truth into your hands so you can explore faith for yourself. So if you don't have a Bible, we would love to gift you a Bible from us to you today. All right, here we go. Verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am And what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And this is how Paul closes the book of Ephesians. Now, there's a few things that I want you to notice. We should probably kind of pull out and consider as we kind of look at this closing passage. Number one, number one consideration. Sometimes, we treat the people of Scripture kind of like they're not people. Kind of like they're like, there's people, and then there's like, ooh, Paul, and Peter, and and we kind of treat them like they're not human. But I want you to notice this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Paul had friends. Paul had friends. I love this. Because Paul was a bit of an abrasive guy. When you read through his letters, he pulled no punches. He told it like it was. And Paul had friends. So he wasn't so contrarian that you couldn't be friends with the guy. In fact, he had quite a few friends as we look through the scriptures in the New Testament. He had people that were close enough to him that he would entrust them with bringing not only these letters, but they would bring these letters, they would read them, and then they would unpack what Paul means by it. Kind of like what we're doing right now with a sermon. And they would also bring updates on Paul's personal life. Tychicus, he'll come and he'll tell you how I'm doing. He's going to let you in on how I'm doing and what's going on in my own life in the day-to-day. Paul had friends. In fact, through all his letters, Paul mentions at least 76 names. 76 names, both men and women, that he entrusted with ministry. Now take a moment to let that sink in. I want you to think about Jesus. How many disciples did Jesus have? Okay, he had the 12, he had the 12 core disciples, but in addition to that, he had what? He had 70. Some, Depending on how you count it, it could be 70 to 72, depending on how you're counting names. He had a bigger following and friendship group of about 70, 72 people. I just find this super kind of interesting that Paul also has about 76 friends, disciples, people that are doing ministry alongside with him, He's not doing this alone. He's not a lone wolf. He's a part of something bigger than even himself. I love this idea. Now, Jesus only had three and a half years of public ministry. So consider that. Jesus died at the age of 33 and a half, thereabouts. Paul, they estimate, is about 60 years old when he passed in Rome. So he had a little extra time to build out these people that he would do ministry alongside. I love this idea because we were not meant to do this alone. But Paul also had a core team. He had some favorites, if you will. Did you know that you're allowed to have some favorites in your life? As a Christian, did you know that? Like, you know how sometimes in church we feel this kind of pressure that we have to be Absolute intimate buddy, buddy friends with everybody. You ever feel that pressure a little bit? That's like insanity. That doesn't work. You can't be best friends with everybody. So take an exhale. It's okay that you have some just really good close friends that you do life with, do ministry with, encourage, lift up, walk alongside. That's OK. You don't have to be friends with everybody, but you should be friends with somebody. Because even Paul himself was not a lone wolf. He had community. He had people. He walked and lived out life with others. The second thing I want you to notice here is Paul had focus. Paul, Paul was so laser-focused on the mission that God called him to, it was ridiculous. He had such focus. Why do I say this? Because he does not give a whole lot of personal updates of himself in his letters unless they serve to model and to speak to and to reify the points he's trying to make in his letters theologically. Paul did not bring updates. He left that to people like Tychicus and Silas, and others that he would send out with his letters to give updates to the church on how he's doing personally. Otherwise, we don't see much update unless it serves a greater example to what he's trying to say in his writings. I love this. Paul had such focus on the mission that he was a part of. And the third thing we notice is Paul laid foundations Notice his closer here. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Love with faith from God the Father. In other words, in faith, believe that you are loved by God because it's been revealed to us through the Son, Jesus. That's kind of what we did just today when we spoke to making declarations, despite our feelings. Faith to believe that you are loved by God. And if we pull up into some major themes in Paul's writing, we begin to understand, and we're going to talk about this, that that love is not contingent on anything. There's such hope in this idea and these foundations that God, the creator of all things, the holy one, the righteous one, the one that we can't even comprehend or understand, leans into us with such love. And these are the foundations of the gospel message that Paul is describing to the early church. Like I said, as we close our series, I want to take a moment to go back and summarize some key moments. This is like the, this is like the highlight reel. Um, I love watching the NFL, but I don't always have time. And so I go on NFL recaps on YouTube and I can watch a whole game in like 15 minutes. This is like that. It's the highlight reel. It's like Jason 30, okay? So we need to remind ourselves of what God has done what he's spoken through Paul to us, to the church, and we're going to pull out some highlights as we go along. So let them speak to your heart and to your life. Let them shape you. Hear from the Spirit today. Now Paul writes this letter from a state of what is most likely house arrest in Rome. We know that. We've talked about that. He's under armed guard. In fact, he is most likely literally chained to another guard who takes shifts and basically lives life alongside of him while he's under house arrest in Rome. And so this is the situation. And so he writes this letter for all those who want to mature and grow in Christ. And to open his letter, he introduces us to a concept that we find repeated throughout the entire epistle. Verse 3 of chapter one, says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, when we started this series, I asked you to do something. I asked you to begin to underline or mark or keep note, a mental note, of how many times we hear this idea of in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, in him. This is a significant theme throughout the entirety of Ephesians. Now first notice again that he attributes in this moment, he attributes deity, godhood, to Jesus. Now for us in the first century, this, or for us in the 21st century, this is a little weird for us because we're so far removed That there's no possibility of us to have like a family member or someone who interacted literally with Jesus in person while he did his ministry three and a half years in that region. But in the first century, many would have at the very least possibly had seen him, particularly if you're in Jerusalem or any of that region. And if you didn't see him personally, you probably had family members, friends, someone who literally physically saw this guy, Jesus, who is from this little town, this little backwater town called Nazareth. And Paul, right here, he's saying, he was God. That guy that you saw, that you heard about, that was crucified, that was in the news, he was and is God. And so we notice this theme, this idea of in Christ, and Christ was Messiah, the sent one to save. And so there's this theme developing as Paul makes a theological argument that Jesus is not just a good guy, he wasn't just a good rabbi, but that he was God himself, and that we are called to be in Christ. That that's where the blessing is. That's where life is. Half the theological teaching in Ephesians is there to convince us of this idea of believers being in Christ Jesus, both positionally and relationally. Ephesians 2, 8-9 to says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast. You see, the second primary teaching of Ephesians is the theology and understanding of salvation. This verse written by Paul under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was key to leading the church to the Great Reformation. If you know your church history, you'll know that this verse here written by paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit was key to the great reformation of the church in fact the four key beliefs introduced to the church by martin luther should i say reintroduced to the church by martin luther was sola gratia sola fide sola scriptura and solo christos now solo sola means Alone, alone. So sola gratia is grace, alone. Sola fide, faith, alone. Sola scriptura, scripture, alone. And finally, certainly not least, sola Christos, Christ, alone. Our understanding of salvation was pulled out of the words of the apostles as they wrote to help the church understand this new standing, this new thing that's been established in Christ Jesus. And I think this is a reminder that we need on a regular basis as we live our life in light of Jesus. Because we almost always, as a humanity, default. To works. Like, maybe you don't even try to, but I know for me growing up, there were some people in my life that I wanted to please. Anybody else like me? There were just some people that you respected, you looked up to, and all you wanted to do, and all that you wanted to hear, was just... A word of affirmation. A word that they see you, that they're proud of you. And for some of us, we got that. And that was a good feeling. And for some of us, we didn't get that. Man, was it devastating. And sometimes in this world, depending on how we've experienced some of those things, we can operate in the same way before a holy God. I just want him to accept me. I just want him to love me. I just want him to know me. I want him to see me. And so we begin to do things to try to get his attention. I'm going to clean up this area of my life. Maybe, he'll, maybe then I'll be worthy to walk into his presence and to know him. And yet, as we read the words here, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, in Christ alone, we discover that he's already spoken worth and value and love over us. I've said this before and I love this moment. Jesus is in the Jordan, and he had just been baptized. And he comes up out of the waters. Now, I want you to keep in mind, Jesus hasn't done anything yet publicly. He hasn't done a miracle. He hasn't preached a sermon. He doesn't have disciples. He doesn't have followers. He's fresh and new on the scene. But what does the Father say over Christ in that moment? What does he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Christ Jesus, before you get your act together, before you go on your first missions trip, before you share your first witness, before you're even baptized, you know what the Father says about you? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And I am well pleased. Not because of what you've done. but Because of who you are now in Christ Jesus. And your desire for affirmation, your desire for love, your desire to be accepted and to be a part of something bigger than just yourself, that's where it's met. That's where everything changes. And that's what Paul teaches us. The th- third key verse that stands out in Ephesians is not Chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Two big takeaways we need to take from here. Number one is the oneness of the Christian faith. The oneness of the Christian faith. We worship one God. Revealed to us by the one Spirit of the Trinity. United in one body by one faith in one baptism through one Savior, Jesus Christ. And this we need to be reminded of over and over again. Why? Because if we can remember this we can walk in unity together. We can be diverse and yet still be together. Part of one mission, one church. Right now, you're sitting here there's others sitting all over this town who love Jesus and are growing in faith and are on mission. We are one. We are one. The second thing, by extension, is the exclusivity of what it means to being saved. The exclusivity of what it means to being saved. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's only one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope when you are called. And this is a recurring theme throughout all of Scripture. There is one way to salvation, it's in Christ alone. And that is not a popular thing to say. That has always been, not just in our day, that has always been a stumbling block for many. Here's what's so interesting about Christianity Christianity is exclusive. It's a narrow way. It's through Jesus alone that we come to the Father. There's no other add-ons. There's no other shortcuts. There's no other pathways that lead to the Father. It's Christ alone. It's exclusive. But when Jesus hung on that cross, you know who he died for? Who did he die for? For all. all. And this is the paradox of the Christian faith. The exclusivity of salvation, but the inclusivity of the sacrifice of Jesus for all. And the question I have for you is what have you done with Jesus? Because he says that he's God. Either you believe that or you don't. But don't be fooled. There is no other way to salvation but Christ alone. And these are the doctrines, the foundations that Paul and others lay for us throughout the epistles and the scriptures. In other words, everyone is welcome. But the way is narrow. The next major theme that we pull out of this, the fourth, is found in Ephesians 5, 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now. Now. We did a teaching. We had some guests help us do a bit of a teaching on this. If you did not see that, it was so good. You need to go back. It's, on, it's online. It's at media. You can go on our YouTube or Facebook. It's all over. But watch that video. Because so often, especially in Ephesians, we conflate two things. We take this moment which is the primary thesis statement of Ephesians 5, 21 and following. This is the primary thesis statement. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What are the verses that follow? Right after this, we have wives, submit to your husbands. Slaves, submit to your masters. Children, submit to your parents. Obey your parents. And so often this thesis statement gets lost in all those other things that Paul was using to describe what it looked like to walk in this way. And this is a progression of Paul's thought. In the development of his argument for us to be one body, to be the church, We must learn how to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to take a moment to kind of consider any corporation or company that you've been a part of over the years. I'm sure some of you have been a part of really healthy, great organizations. Maybe you've been a part of, like, really poor kind of organizations over the years. I want you to ask the question, what is the catalyst for successful organizations because here's the nature of an organization here's the nature of a business do you build a business bringing in all people that are just like you come on church where you at no of course not they can be so one-dimensional there's some gift sets there's some skills that you need and so what do you do you find people that are not like you, that have some skills that you do not have. When you build out and scale a business, you're bringing in a diversity of people with different talents and skills and abilities and capacities, and that's how you build up a business. But how do you keep them all rowing in the same direction? Because with diversity comes some complexity, right? Because your accountant is gonna have some different priorities of value than the visionary CEO is or the founder is, right? The founder's gonna go, let's risk it all and let's go for it and let's do this thing. And the accountant is gonna go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, let's 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 do a risk management scenario. Let's what are our thresholds? What can we invest? And in? what do we need to keep just in case? And let's mitigate risk. And but you need it all. So what keeps all of these diversity of people together? Your mission statement. Absolutely. What is the mission? What are you about? What are you all pulling towards? What is the win? Can you define it? What is Paul doing here? The church is no different. The church is an organization of diverse people coming together for a very narrow, focused, specific mission. What is that mission? To go into all the world, and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been given our mission statement. Now, every church repackages it, but basically it's the same thing. Be on mission. But you know what the church also has? It's not just about a mission. It's also about a relationship with our CEO. So we have the added dynamic of relationship with Christ. So why should we get along? Why should we pull in the same direction? Why should we forgive people in community of faith that hurt us? Why should we be united? Out of reverence for Christ. And because to not be on mission would be too catastrophic for the church. And so this is the catalyst. This is what brings us together. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What I love about this is walking in unity means being people of worship. I want you to think about that. Like, we, we too often conflate worship with singing songs, and I love singing songs. I love music. I love, I love all of that. That's not your primary form of worship. Your primary form of worship is submission to God. to the truth defined by the scriptures, describing who God is, what he's called us to, what he's releasing us in. And then finally, to one another. We submit to one another in love, out of reverence for Christ. And this is our act of worship on a daily, weekly basis. And finally, now we come to a primary verse that we have spent the last couple of weeks exploring Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This verse carries so much perspective and understanding of what the Christian life looks like. There's three things that we must consider and remember as we live out this faith. Number one, our source of authority and power is in the Lord. It's not in the armor. It's not in how well you read scripture. It's not in how many verses you have memorized. It's not in how good you are, how high you lift your arms in worship, how loudly you sing, how much you serve others. Your strength is found solely, solely, exclusively in the Lord. It's by His authority, it's by His power that you are released to make waves in this world for His glory. Number two, we must establish a practice of putting on the armor of God, metaphorically speaking. Today in song, what do we do? We made some declarations, right, that superseded our feelings on the matter. This is something that I want to get better at personally, just on a personal level. I don't do this well. I want to challenge myself to find some, for the season of life that I'm in, to find some statements of faith that I can declare out loud and be reminded of every day. Some statements about my identity, who he says I am. Some statements about my purpose in this world, what he says I should be about doing. Some statements of community that remind me that people are the priority. Do you have declarations that you make on a daily basis where you remind yourself that in Christ Jesus you are righteous and holy, putting on that breastplate of righteousness? That you remind yourselves that not my will but yours be done, putting on that helmet of salvation, the reminder that God is changing your worldview. on those shoes, that readiness for the gospel that allows you to walk out into the world with boldness, to be a witness of the good news, but also when the world comes back at you, allows you to stand firm in the truth and to weather those storms. Friends, I believe that the church in the West is going to have some tension. We're going to have some pushback in a big way. Are you ready to stand? Begin your training. Making declarations. The truth of who God is, who you are, and what you're about. And then finally, and maybe most importantly for us, especially in the climate we find ourselves in, number three, our fight is spiritual. And it's against a spiritual enemy. So the next time you want to lash out at another human being. Maybe step back and begin to pray and begin to fight that battle on a spiritual plane and not on a physical plane. The next time a government policy comes down that upsets you, begin to fight on a spiritual plane, not a physical plane. The next time you're at family dinner, eating that turkey with diversity around the table and different opinions and different thoughts, maybe take a moment to shut your mouth and fight that battle on a spiritual plane and not a physical plane. Because the enemy of our soul, the enemy of humanity, is Satan. And he is doing everything he can to influence people away from the truth, away from God. That's where the church needs to get on our knees and we need to pray and stand in the gap. That's what the intercession is. You stand in the gap. We're not against people. We're against the enemy that influences people. So let's review. Your source of authority isn't in your title, your tenure as a Christian, the experiences of the past, The armor you wear, it's found in the Lord. And here's what you need to understand, friends. I want to talk to you that are new believers in here. Maybe you've just come to Christ. I want you you to understand this. You have the exact same authority in Christ Jesus as the one who has been serving him their whole lives For decades and years and years and years. What allows you to speak with authority? Understanding your position, understanding that he has given you authority, but also understanding what he's about, what his will is, what he pursues. That takes getting into the word and understanding the kingdom and understanding what he is doing in this world. But man, when you put those two things together and you walk out into this world, with an understanding that the battle is spiritual, the authority that you walk in can change the environments around you as you pray and as you battle and as you speak truth and make declarations of faith and then God, through those prayers, in partnership with you, begins to reshape the world around you. And you're going to get pushed back. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. But I believe God <laughs> is victorious. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And today... We're going, to be eating some, uh, we're going to be eating some great foods, and so we, got, we have a little bit of time before we do that. I guess if you could just play for a moment, we won't, we won't sing anything quite yet. We're just going to create some time for reflection, friends. As we review Ephesians, what are some of those themes that kind of stick with you? What, what, what is the Holy Spirit kind of highlighting for you? And maybe in this moment, as we close this service, I want to just kind of help facilitate, create some space where maybe you can pull out the scriptures, pull out Ephesians, and ask the question, what are some things I need to start declaring? Over myself, over my circumstances, over this world around me, what are some things I need to start declaring? Maybe you're here and, man, you just feel guilty all the time. Because you're not living perfect yet. Guess what? That's a long ways off, friend. That, That takes either the return of Christ or death. In Christ Jesus to get to and yes we need to we need to run from sin we need to overcome absolutely your salvation is in grace alone in Christ alone in faith alone maybe you need to declare that over yourself Maybe for some of you, maybe there's a sense of disunity. You're having trouble being part of community. Maybe you need to make some declarations that precede your feelings on the matter. Lord, I'm gonna submit to one another as an act of worship out of reverence for you. You're going to learn to forgive. Maybe there's some armor that you just haven't been putting on. Maybe you haven't been really challenging your mindset, taking a journey of discovering what his worldview is. Maybe you're trying hard to overlay your view with his view and trying to make it work. Maybe it's time to declare, not my will, but yours be done. And finally, maybe you're here and you're exploring faith. you have not taken that step of accepting Jesus as your Savior, or maybe you've been wrestling with that step. Maybe there's something intellectually more that you want, or can I just say this? Your journey of faith is only going to take you so far until you have to take that step of faith into the unknown and experience the presence of God. Maybe today's the day that you make a declaration. God, I don't have all the answers. I don't fully understand. But if you're real, I'm willing to take a step of faith. Would you reveal yourself to me today? So Holy Spirit, in this moment, wherever we are on the journey, Whatever our need, whatever our next step, would you reveal it? Would you empower us? Would you give us faith to make declarations of truth that cause our lives to come in alignment with your way, your will? reverence for Christ as our acts of worship. In Jesus' name.